Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Ladies and gentlemen, we have rolled out the red carpet. We have hired some of the same British guards that were at the royal wedding and welcomed him down the hallway and back into the studio. He is back from a three-week European trip. Here he is, Dr. History. And I rode in on my GMC uh carriage. No, you're supposed to say white horse. Oh, white horse. Yeah. Well, it is a white pickup, actually. And I'm sure you were as enthralled with the royal <laughs> wedding as I was. Oh, yeah. You know what? I loved watching their horses. Uh, the, the horses, you know, on the carriages. There were a lot of the other south ends of the horse running the thing, too. <laughs> uh, How you it was doing? Good. I'm doing good. Doing uh, good. A good trip, I assume? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. And But, you know, it's always nice to get back home. Oh. Just nothing quite like home. And That's uh, how I was in the rodeo business. Yeah. I mean, I'd be like two and a half, three weeks on the road, and I'd yeah. say, I want to go home. Yep, it was time. So glad to be back. Uh, what about the food over there? Oh, food was great. Yeah. What was your favorite? Uh, you know, I like uh, crepes. <laughs> really? Crepes with Nutella and walnuts and banana. Ooh, yeah. You can get that at home. I know, but oh. they, they taste better over there. When you went to Germany, <laughs> did you have any Bavarian cream? Uh, we we had some uh, bratwursts. Oh, in Bavarian cream? Uh, well, no, not oh. <laughs> No, they were like big hot dogs. You know? <laughs> They've really got brats over. Oh, they do. You know, yeah. so we had some great food. Yeah, no energy shortage. No, <laughs> on my part. No. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about food today. Too. Yes, we are. Okay. So we're going to start right off. You know, with the soldiers' food back not, in uh, back in the army days of the frontier. Oh. So this is not the pioneers. This is what the army soldiers. So okay? they got paid thirty dollars a month. Well. And all kinds of delicious seven-course gourmet dinners. And we're going to we're gonna talk about that. And uh-huh. it's a good thing we're doing this before lunch. Maybe, oh, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't. But. Are you going to say something bad? Oh, I might. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, the Frontier Army, they actually provided the soldiers with basic food, shelter, clothing. And it was a common joke that the Army's best accommodations were in the prison or the cemetery. <laughs> that was the best? <laughs> yeah. But a soldier could get a few luxuries using his own money, but... But a private's pay was not much, and the enlisted men uh, received a modest one-time clothing allowance and a few dollars to buy necessities. They had to pay for their laundry, their tailoring, their haircuts, their boots, their grooming. They had to pay for all that? Yeah, they had all, all the personal items out of their wages. So that wasn't a lot that was provided. Wow. So, okay, so here we go. Meal time. Okay. Yeah. The main the men ate together in the barracks mess hall at long wooden tables. You can picture that. Yeah. Typically, the mess area was separate from the sleeping quarters and had an attached kitchen equipped with a wood-burning stove, cookware, cooking utensils. Now, in nice weather, the men might go outside to eat because, you know, just be more more pleasant. Yeah. But the standard-issue tableware was basically a tin cup, a tin plate, and they say iron implements, which I'm assuming must be at least a fork and well, maybe maybe I, a spoon. I would hope so. And they had their own knives, yeah. so they wouldn't need a knife. Okay. So, but the soldiers were issued rations, but they had to cook their own meals. I did not themselves. know that they had to cook. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, a lot of times we think they have these special guys that were cooks. Yeah, the mess hall. Yeah, and maybe sometimes they were. 
But here's the way it worked. The cooks were assigned in rotation for 10-day periods. The idea was that the men should learn how to cook so they could prepare their own meals when they were out in the field. So the principle was sound, but the result was that much of the food was poorly prepared. Uh, and I say that, yeah. Then again, Underline the, the word poorly. Yeah. Then again, the quality of the ingredients was so poor that the quality of preparation didn't really matter that well, much. Well, what are we talking about food? Oh, we're going to get in there. Oh, I'll bet we yeah, are. we are. Yeah. Now, um, in the case of undercooked meats, which could be hazardous, uh, the food itself was not usually greeted with great enthusiasm. <laughs> okay, Mealtime provided a welcome break from all the work they did, the drilling and all that uh, marching and stuff like that. Yeah. So, but the waiters and cleanup crew, also known as kitchen police... KP, KP, KP yeah. were likewise assigned in rotation from among the men in the company. So it was a hard job. So once again, the guy, the cooks and the people that cleaned up, we just rotated among the men. Well, how many people sat down for a meal? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm just from what I've read. There's some places there was a lot of men, some not so many. Oh. I'm going to say as little as 30, 40, 50 sometimes really? in smaller places. Yeah, but they assisted the cooks washing the dishes and pots, scrubbing the table and floors, chopped wood for the kitchen, also for the dining room in winter. But much of the enlisted men's diet consisted of salt beef, salt pork, beans or split peas, bread or hardtack, and I'm going to talk about hardtack, rice and cornmeal mush, all washed down with really, really strong black coffee. Now, that doesn't sound bad the way you presented it. Well, let me keep going. (laughs) Uh, I was afraid you'd wreck it. (laughs) Well, when you're hungry, you know a lot of things taste good. But the pork and the beef, packed in barrels between layers of salt to preserve it, usually had to be soaked in water for hours to make it so you could even eat the stuff. It must have been salty as heck. Yeah. Not good for a heart diet. Yeah. But the quality of salt beef often left much to be desired, earning it the nickname Salt Horse. Horse? Yeah. Like H-O-R-S-E. Yeah, so salt beef was called Salt Horse. Uh-huh. And I've never eaten horse, and I don't plan to. Yeah, no. But the Army issued salt pork, which was actually bacon, and it was commonly known as sow belly. Sow Have you heard that term, I sow have. belly? I many, many times. And it was often kind of rancid, okay? Rancid, you say? <laughs> yeah. Now, a lot of the posts, the monotony and the stomach distress from continual salt. Stomach distress. Continual salt. That is a very polite way of saying they had the screaming hurry-ups. <laughs> and there was... Now, occasionally they did get some wild game, okay? I'll so bet it was that wild. was help. Okay. <laughs> but depending on the post location, the men hunted buffalo, elk, deer, antelope, rabbit, pheasant, you know, yeah. whatever they could get. And Throw they it got, in the pot. Hopefully, had somebody that was a good shot. Yeah. But the Army usually encouraged the men to hunt, not only to help their diet, but to practice their marksmanship. Sure. And at some forts, however, the men were not allowed to hunt for fear the sound might attract hostile Indians. Oh, yeah. So they were permitted to use their sabers to go hunting. Now, no, Zeb, just, just a minute. Zeb, I don't know how fast you are with a saber. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not very fast. Why did you take your wristwatch off? Because I don't want to go over. No. <laughs> <laughs> i got to time this just how right. How would they go out hunting with a saber? I'm assuming they would throw it. Okay. Now, let me finish this, all right? They were pin- permitted to use their sabers. And carcasses... Car- now, get this. Okay. Carcasses coming into this forts, into the forts nearly always had saber cuts usually made to hide the bullet holes. 
Oh. It was sometimes said that the troops were deadly with sabers at a range of 40 yards. Yeah. In other words, they shot them, and then they went over and stuck them with their saber. I see. To make it look like they chased them down and killed They'd them. They'd have been doggone hungry if they depended <laughs> on the saber. Yeah. I mean, you get to lay there and wait for something to run over you. I don't know. <laughs> In my case, that happens. Yeah. So, now, fresh meat, such as game, might be roasted or fried. Boiling was actually the most common cooking method for salted meat, as well as for dry beans, rice, soup. Uh, boiling... Uh, uh, preserve the meat that help remove the excess salt. Now, I didn't know that, but if you boil it, some of the salt comes out. You're killing my appetite. I know. But it also had the advantage of sterilizing the bacon, which was often so old that it had become discolored and rotted. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Most meals consisted of some form of stew or hash made with preserved meat, often slow-cooked overnight. To all my restaurant advertisers, I'm not guilty of this. <laughs> so... You can see the benefit of cooking things for a long time. Yeah, like maybe a week? Yeah, to get rid of whatever, yeah. Now, the commissary department augmented the meat rations with beans, split peas, rice, coffee. Split peas. Split peas, flour, sugar, salt, molasses, and vinegar. Now, the limited choices made the monotonous menus kind of plain, but company cooks could be creative. Uh, One strangely popular dish was a meatball concoction called bombshells. Do I dare ask about this? I'm not even going to go into that. I see. Okay, I'm going to tell you how it's made, though. For this recipe, 16 pounds of chopped meat was mixed with 6 pounds of flour and some water, along with onions, salt, pepper, and other seasonings. Now, that doesn't sound too bad. The mixture was formed into small meatballs and boiled. A similar but meatless dish called cannonballs, (laughs) made with the flour... (laughs) Uh, and molasses and fat reportedly could be stored for 12 months or more, sprinkled with lemon juice. Well, yeah. that's a year, you know. Yeah, sprinkled with lemon juice or vinegar, cannonballs were served to prevent scurvy. Okay, so now you got uh, well, 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 how, bombshells how, and cannonballs. How did they store it for a year without the spoilage? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I can't or imagine. did they not care about the spoilage? Well, I guess the cook maybe thought he'd be gone by the time they got around to using it. I don't know. But, you know, the men often complained about their unappetizing meals. Some soldiers gave the Army credit for trying. Um, in fact, it says a good amount of flour was issued to the men as part of their rations intended primarily for bread. So they could somehow figure out a way to make their own bread. Now, most posts had a bakery where the men would take most of their flour ration and exchange it for baked bread. Now, soldiers received a daily allotment of one 18-ounce loaf of bread per man. How big would that be? That's not very big. That's pretty small. Yeah. I mean, that's just about a pound, which is not very big. Yeah. But men from the ranks were assigned to baking details, usually, again, on a 10-day rotation. So the quality of the bread varied at the very rustic posts without a bakery or out in the field. The men had to make do with hardtack. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. 
Now, okay. when I was in, now here we're going to talk about hardtack. Hard it's not too bad. Okay. So hardtack was pre, uh, was a prepared field ration. It was a hard, dry biscuit that could be stored for almost indefinite amounts of time. I don't like that word indefinite. Indefinite. We could probably find some, Zeb, if we look somewhere. I'll bet it's still <laughs> out there. Uh, but the pieces were three or four inches square and about three-eighths of an inch thick. So it was kind of like a cracker? Yeah, really, kind of. Not very thick, but, uh, you know, yeah, about like a big cracker. Yeah. But it was made from flour, water, and salt, and dough, and had no leavening, and so, uh, and it was baked real slowly, so it didn't rise like, like a cake or, you know, a regular bread. But it resulted in a brick-like bread that was... Uh, heavy on the word brick. <laughs> ...virtually immune to both crumbling and spoilage. How'd you chew it? Well, let, let me get to that. <laughs> it was often called pilot bread or pea bread. Hardtack also went uh, by some of the more uh, derisive names such as tooth dollars and sheet iron. So, ew... I, I think you could probably run a wagon over it and not hurt it. I was going to say, well, you couldn't bite into it, could you? Well, th- th- let me tell you how they did. You're always saying, <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you. Hard tack was too dense to chew or even to bite into. All right? Some soldiers pounded it with a rock or a rifle butt to break it into pieces small enough to put in their mouths. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> now, sometimes it was actually soaked in bacon grease or coffee to sif- soften it up as well as to add a little flavor. So, you know, once again, Zeb, if you're hungry, you're going to figure out some way to get that stuff yeah, but, down. Yeah, okay, the Indians are approaching, and you want to have something to eat before the battle. This forget would take it. like three days to eat that just, stuff. Just forget it. Just maybe break it up and stuff a little in your cheek. Oh, and my hope gosh. By Throw it at the Indians. It's well, hard yeah. enough. It, yeah, we could have hurt them. Now, a soldier's breakfast might be stew, mush, or salt pork with bread. Mush. A little over one half pound of meat. Sometimes with gravy, uh, six ounces of bread, and one pint of coffee. That doesn't sound too bad, okay? Depending on the spoilage of the meat. Dinner was usually stew with bread, supper, bread, and coffee. The meals were often so nutritionally unbalanced that many men came down with scurvy. They didn't have the the vitamin C. Yeah. Yeah. So the importance of plant foods to health was not really well understood or appreciated, you know, in the early days. And fruits and vegetables were not part of the daily routine. Uh, Sometimes this was not due so much to ignorance as to availability. Now, fresh vegetables were hard to come by, of course, on the frontier, even in summer and in winter, absolutely none. So to prevent scurvy, many posts actually started raising gardens, mm-hmm. which, you know, so they can have some fresh uh, Radishes, yeah, lettuce. Yeah. Tomatoes, you know, yeah. everything. Uh, they were planted, tended, and harvested by the soldiers, and these post gardens were encouraged and very often successful. Did medicine and army doctors, were they aware of what the needs were as far as for scurvy and that? I think they, it was beginning to be known, but they just didn't have it available. So I think they knew that it was necessary, but maybe not as much as they should have. I see. So, but, uh, you know, there was drought, there was grasshoppers, there was crop calamities. Don't you dare tell me they started eating grasshoppers. No, they didn't. Okay. <laughs> but there was things that wiped out their garden. Yeah. So now in winter and at posts without gardens, the, most, uh, the post uh, commissaries provided uh, desiccated vegetables. A what? Desiccated vegetables. What's that? I think that's just a way to say they were dried. Like, dry, you know, like dried apples, dried, oh. you know. Well, it sounds great. Yeah. But uh, they were shipped from the east in compressed cakes. Okay. Oh, that sounds even yeah. better. 
The vegetables were first dried, both to prevent spoilage and to make them lightweight and easy to ship, then pressed into cakes and packed into airtight tin containers. The vegetable mix, uh, mixture typically consisted of onions, peas, cabbage, celery, tomatoes, beets, turnips, carrots, and peppers. Now, that doesn't sound too bad. Can you imagine what that stuff looked like? <laughs> well, it just looked like dry something yeah. or other. Yeah. But simmered in boiling water, this unappetizing brick eventually softened. Eventually, I don't know yeah, how long it took. About a week. And expanded. The vegetables were often simmered further until they broke down into a thick, delicious-sounding soup. Right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Potatoes, okay. Potatoes also came in a desiccated form. Can't wait form. to hear about these. Yeah. The coarse, lumpy powder, which is what the potato was, yeah. was mixed with water to make a doughy cake, which was then fried. Fried. Yeah, you get you. These guys were creative, Zeb. Uh-huh. They had to be <laughs> fried potato. Fried, powdered potato out of this mush. Yeah. yeah. Now the standard desiccated vegetable cakes were about nine inches long, three inches wide, and about an inch thick. But they also came in a larger size, suitable for an entire company. These were a foot square and two inches thick, and they weighed seven pounds. When reconstituted, these giant bricks swelled up about 16 times their original size and produced 112 servings of vegetables. You know, they say just... an army moves on its stomach, but if you <laughs> ate one of those bricks, you'd tip over. <laughs> well, these, uh, quote, flavorless uh, food was uh, not popular with the men. In fact, they called it baled hay. Which you could, you know, uh, you could bail of whatever. Yeah. So. Oh my. But goodness. you know the cell. Didn't the, they ever have any sweets for dessert or anything? You know, maybe with some of the people coming through, some of the pie? wagon trains, maybe. Pie. You know, I, I'll bet they went out and said, "Hey, if you'll just bake me a pie, I'll, you know, please oh, anything." My. But, uh, you know, the soldiers welcomed any relief from their unappetizing and monotonous rations. At some post, enterprising companies raised their own pigs or chickens. Mm-hmm. And forts near ranches or farms might contract with the locals for fresh meat and occasionally fresh dairy, eggs, and vegetables. Uh, in addition, soldiers were sometimes able to trade their commissary rations at the post for uh, foods such as canned fruit and canned seafood. Oh, no, that, no, 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 no. I wouldn't trust that stuff as far as I could throw an elephant. Now, canned stuff, I, I didn't realize they did so much canning. I didn't that. either. But, I didn't know they had the capability. Yeah, but they did. So, back east somewhere. And I wouldn't trust it. Yeah. But at some forts, the commissary sold excess rations to settlers, uh, travelers, and even friendly Indians. And if the company garden produced surplus... If you want to make an unfriendly Indian, just sell him some of that stuff. <laughs> but uh, some of this could be sold to the immigrants and Indians. And uh, the money raised from the sales generally went into a company fund. And the fund was used to purchase food and supplies. Like more dead not, fish. Not usually provided. So uh, sometimes they got a little money and maybe could get some, you know, maybe some candy... Uh, can you Things imagine like what the dead fish in those cans look like? <laughs> you know, I, I like sardines, but the you know, you know, but you know, uh, some of these items had to be specially ordered and shipped in. Now, here's another one. You're gonna like this. I can't yeah. wait. Canned oysters, sardines, and canned fruit were especially popular. Okay, and I can see that. I can see the fruit. Yeah, but fresh fruits and vegetables with a fairly long shelf life. Uh, like onions, potatoes, and apples were usually available at the post stores, and, and a lot of them actually carried eggs that they were able to, and butter. 
but unfortunately, however, the cost of freighting these things to these isolated places, it was just too expensive. They, you know, they they were available, but you couldn't afford to have them shipped in. Yeah. But for various reasons, the supply of food could be erratic. I mean, sometimes it came, sometimes it didn't. For example, uh, there's a guy uh, there at Fort C.F. Smith in Montana suffered food shortages in the winter of 1867 because severe weather and constant Indian attacks made delivery impossible. But the men had to live on cornmeal. Ugh. Now, another problem was spoilage, okay? Yeah. Improper preservation, packing, and storage of food led to it getting rancid and moldy and, oh, just bad stuff. I sure am glad you're painting <laughs> such an illustrated picture. I know. Well, you'll have a little time before yeah, lunch. Yeah, a little bit. But sacks of flour and grain. I suppose the mice were in there. Well, I'm getting there. Fre- I figured you would. Sacks of flour and grain frequently contained mouse droppings. Ah, boy. Even dead mice. Yep. Flour, cornmeal, rice, and beans often. Can't hot. wait to have Add a biscuit. Weevils and worms. Oh, my God! Oh, I'm not done. One more sentence here, Zeb. You ready? If stored in damp conditions, these foods could become riddled with maggots. You know, really, you've done an awful lot for that diet I've been on. Okay. Just a little bit more here. Zeb. No, Almost I can't wait. Done. Let me have it. All right. So, in some cases, food supplies were already unusable when they got there. And it was not uncom- uncommon for unscrupulous contractors to send them the army worthless shipments. Okay, George Armstrong Custer yeah. described one episode in which boxes, quote, boxes of bread were shipped and issued to the soldiers of my command, the contents of which had been baked in 1861, yet this was 1867. Sometimes the shipments did not even contain food. The same delivery, Custer reported, included unbroken packages, which were then opened, discovered to contain huge stones for which the government had paid so much per pound according to contract price. In other words, these contractors, they were paid by how much poundage, and so they sometimes just put rocks or bricks in there. And quite frankly, the rocks sounded more nutritious than some of the stuff <laughs> well, you've been talking they, about. If you boiled them, they might taste oh, better. Oh, man. <laughs> Rock soup. Oh, I think the pioneers ate a lot better than the soldiers. You know, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this program, so I won't. <laughs> well, you know, after being on a trip and eating so much food that I did, I thought, oh, this will definitely... Real quick, what country's food did you like the best? Real fast. Oh, boy. Real uh, fast. Germany was... Germany. Yeah, Germ- Russia was good. I, I, I just really... It was... Really? Yeah. We, um, just, there was just a lot of good food, and they all had good things. They all they had really good did. things. Yeah. Okay. Yep, I, I, I enjoyed it. Well, I'm glad so. you're back. And I don't know why you had to come back under the uh, curtain of uh, ruining my lunch, but uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you very much. You're welcome. Dr. History, God bless you. And I know that you've got it all scheduled for next week. Oh, what are I we going to talk about? Yeah, well, I don't want to surprise you. <laughs> I mean, I will surprise you. You will surprise You always surprise me. Dr. History, thank you so much you for bet. being on the program. God bless you. And it is really a treat to have you back.